be here this morning and it's so exciting to be part of the series that we're doing on the Holy Spirit. Um, so we've had a wonderful introduction with different people preaching and Anne done the last two Sundays on the, specifically on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the first one, Anne looked at the different um, traditions of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in different um, flows and types of churches. And uh, last week he looked at the story in Acts 9 about how the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Samaritans. And uh, I think he called his sermon, Mind the Gap, that that there's a sense of when when we are saved, just to see that um, experience of the Holy Spirit and that point of salvation be um, uh, something that's consolidated and drawn together in, in the time frame. So before I start sharing this morning, I I want to also speak on a a kind of a final part on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, though I don't think there's any final words said on that, Um, but just to draw to close this theme of the, in our series of the Holy Spirit, and uh, the next few weeks we'll be looking at the gifts of the Spirit and what they are and how they work in our lives. Um, But uh, just as we were worshipping, I really felt God give me two phrases that's, that really struck. And I, I, I feel for people in this church, it's for individuals and it's for us as a church. I felt two phrases. One was get ready and the second one was open doors. And I really believe that God is saying to this church and he's going to start stirring you individually. He's saying, get yourselves ready because I'm going to be opening new doors. And I felt some of those doors have to do with ministry. Some of those doors have to do with conversations that he's going to go open up to you. Some of those doors have to do with a commissioning and a calling on people's lives. But I feel that even as we're preaching the season of the Holy Spirit and preparing our hearts to receive the Holy Spirit, this is a preparation. God is getting us ready for the more that he's wanting to move us into as a church and as individuals. So if you start feeling a bubbling on the inside and God starts stirring new things in you, it's his work, he's preparing you, get ready for what he's going to do, the doors that he's going to open up. And I also felt, as I was praying on Friday, we have a staff meeting and we always pray for the weekend, I felt God give me this word of transformation, that there are people um, here that we're going to look at them in a few months' time, in a few years' time, and we're going to say, we hardly recognize them anymore. They are so transformed. And I feel like some people have lived in boxes. You've been stereotyped, even in your own mind, or other people have said, that's the kind of person you are, that's your box, that's your profile. Well, I believe God is smashing boxes. He's smashing pigeonholes. He's going to transform people so that you are actually moving into a whole new realm um, than what you even expected you would be or what you would do. So I just feel like God is getting ready. He's opening doors of opportunity, but he's going to do transforming work in people's lives. So you're going to be unrecognizable. And people are going to say, oh, they don't fit that pigeonhole. God has done something wonderful and new. So I thought I'd start this uh, third part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit by sharing a bit of my personal testimony, um, because all of us must have a story around what this must be like for us. So some of you may know something of my life, some of you may not, but I grew up in a very small industrial town called Thunderbell Park, 
which is a bit of a mouthful, which is about an hour outside of Johannesburg in South Africa along the Vaal River. And the town was built around a very large steelwork called um, Escor. And my grandfather was the town's first GP in the early 1940s until he was a called, called away to fight in North Africa during the Second World War. And then he returned there afterwards. But my mother and father grew up in that town. They went to school together. And um, after joining the Navy as a, as a young 17-year-old, my dad returned to the town and my mum had done her teacher's training. They got married and they settled and they lived a very happy life in Vanderbilt Park. <laughs> and uh, my mum really has been, always been a testimony to me. She's always loved God. And she took us three girls to church every Sunday. And we worshiped together in a very quaint little Anglican church where our family had celebrated all the christenings and weddings and funerals for three generations. It was like even a stone, one of the stone, glass windows was dedicated to my grandfather. So it was a very much a, church, a family church. And as a young child, I absolutely loved going to church. It was a joy for me. And in the steady traditions of the Eucharist, I learned a real um, a sort of awe and reverence for God. But I remember when I was nine years old, I was out on the playground at school and I was singing a little song that I learned in Sunday school, which was, I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm sure you all know that. And I was singing that to myself, walking along the playground. That's the kind of child I was in my own world. <laughs> not worrying if anyone heard me and I was just singing along and then it goes on in the song it says um, the cross before me the will behind me no turning back no turning back and in that moment as a nine-year-old I just had this revelation I want to follow Jesus with all my heart and on the playground that sealed it for me and I made that decision at that age of nine that I would serve Jesus but something very interesting changed for me when I turned 12. Um, in the late 70s and early 80s, there was a movement in the Anglican Church called the Charismatic Renewal, where there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it was during this time that my grandfather actually got saved. But as is the tradition in the Church of England or the Anglican Church, that when you reach about 12 or 13, there's something called confirmation, where you renew the vows that, was taken for you, uh, that were taken for you when you were christened as a baby. And many young teenagers went through this whole uh, kind of ritual more as a tradition than really meaning anything. But for me, um, it was a very special time because I felt the call of God begin to stir in my life. And as part of our preparation for confirmation, there was a group of about six of us. Um, one of the sessions we had was a teaching on the Holy Spirit. And my best friend's mum shared with us about how the Holy Spirit wants to empower us and that we could receive the gift of tongues. Well, as a young person who loved God and I wanted to follow him wholeheartedly, I received this instruction with eagerness and openness. It wasn't complicated for me. I thought, okay, that's what happens. That's what you do. So Ellen or my friend's mum prayed for me. She laid hands on me and I began to receive the gift of tongues. And as she prayed for me, this simple childlike babble just started to come up into my mouth. And... Um, 
she encouraged me to keep praying and let the words develop. And I felt, as a 12-year-old, I felt the presence of God inside me, you know, it's such a, a tangible way that was unmistakable. And I experienced this new joy like I'd never had before. So that for me was something, now I'm standing here nearly 50 years old, um, and I look back, but that as a 12-year-old was a, a, a defining moment in my life because I, I had an, I'd had an encounter with God through the power of his Holy Spirit. I remember it very, very clearly. And uh, I think that um, there's been other times over my Christian journey that I've had other encounters with the Holy Spirit, but that was the first time that I really experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But this is just my testimony, and if we had to ask everyone here to share something of their story, I know that we would have so many wonderful and different accounts of how God works and pours out His Spirit in our lives. And sometimes, as human nature goes, we want to make rules for how everyone must experience the Holy Spirit based on our experience, because we say, well, that's what happened for me, and that's how it must be for everyone. But at Forest Town Church, we really want to respect that all of us here have come from such varied and different backgrounds and experiences, and we want to validate each person's journey. But at the same time, we want to root ourselves in the Word of God and what He says and what He wants to show us. I like what um, Randy Clark, who's pastor of the Vineyard Church in, in St. Louis, Missouri, he says this, I believe that God did not make two fingerprints or two snowflakes alike, and in the same way, he did not intend to make our experience of his spirit to be the same for everyone. But having said that, let's have a look this morning, I know Anne touched at one of the examples in the book of Acts of the outpouring of the spirit. I'd like to go through the, the, the examples in the book of Acts and how they encountered and experienced this infilling of the Holy Spirit in these different stories and what we can learn about how that is for us in the church today. And we see that each experience was quite varied and quite different. Now, I'm sure the first one you've probably all heard of before, which, was, which happened at Pentecost. And as Christians, when we say Pentecost, we think of flames of fire and uh, speaking in tongues, people acting as if they were drunk, all of that that happened. But for the early Christians, Pentecost was actually a festival that they celebrated as part of the Jewish tradition. And it wasn't even called Pentecost. That's a, a Greek name that has been given to it. The, for for the, the early Christians, the Jews, it was called the Festival of Harvest or the Festival of the First Weeks. And it basically was a celebration of the, the, the early harvest that took place in May or June. So I'm going to just read to you a brief little... Um, description when um, uh, Luke writes this book of Acts and this is what he tells us. When the day of Pentecost arrived, in any way, which means when this festival was being celebrated, all the Christians were together in one place and suddenly, this is like 
us sitting in our meeting and then suddenly something happens. There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. So imagine the heater blowers come on. We think, oh, that was the heat, the blowers for the heating. But no, there was something different, something heavenly about this wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. Now that will be quite weird if you saw some flames hovering on someone's head and then you saw they were on your head as well. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, that must have been a really strange meeting to be in, <laughs> but a really amazing meeting because there was a presence and a manifestation of God's power that they had never encountered before. And uh, what is interesting that in this meeting, all the believers were gathered together, but like we are today, for a prayer meeting. And suddenly, the Holy Spirit made himself present in this very tangible way. They could hear a wind, they could see flames, and then they all start speaking languages that were not their own. And in this first experience of the Holy Spirit, we see that everybody in the room was empowered all at once by the Holy Spirit. His presence came and they all spoke in tongues. They all had these flames upon their head. They all felt this wind in the room. I've been in meetings when the Holy Spirit has done this. Not, I haven't seen flames or, or wind, but the entire congregation all at once there's a presence of the Holy Spirit that comes, and all at once, everyone just begins to sing in heavenly languages. It's almost as if there is an atmosphere, a spiritual atmosphere that releases God's presence and his power corporately over everyone there. So sometimes God does that. Sometimes he moves just over everyone all at once. You just, you don't, you're not even thinking about it, and he comes, and he just comes in power, and he does that. But what is very interesting after this experience, that's just the heaters, by the way. She <laughs> wondering. I saw some people look at each other going, signs following the word. <laughs> well, we, we're trusting for that. But uh, what is very interesting is after the disciples' experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit during this Pe Pentecost festival, we see that their lives had a new authority and boldness. And we told about the story where Peter and John, there's that little childhood song, Peter and John went to pray. Sorry, you can see I'm a Sunday school teacher. And they met a lame man on the way. <laughs> he asked for arms. Okay, Anne's telling me I should stop saying. This is where I irritate my children. <laughs> I sing about everything. Okay, I won't sing. And uh, the, he asks for, for money, and they say, well, we don't have money, but such as we have, we'll give to you. And they said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And this man is healed, and he walks. And the whole town is in an uproar. And they're saying, who is this Jesus that these people are speaking in his name, and, people, and this man is being healed? And so the Sanhedrin, the religious community, they say, this is not good. This Jesus is getting too much profile and popularity, and he's supposed to be dead, so this is not really very good at all. So they bring Peter and John into the 
council and they say to them, you are not allowed to preach in the name of Jesus and you're not allowed to speak in his name. But of course, they just said, well, thank you, you can tell us, but we're not going to listen. And they went off carrying on praising Jesus. And you can imagine that happened in the day and then they went to their, their life group, their little meeting on the, in the evening and they said, you won't believe what happened. We prayed for this guy. And he got up and he walked and everyone was so amazed. And they all began to praise and to worship. And we see the second account happens of the Holy Spirit coming again in Acts 4. And it says, this is Peter speaking, and he says, Now, Lord, he's praying, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So they're not shrinking back. They're going, no ways. We know what we saw and we know God wants to do more. And when they prayed, it says in verse 31, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And here again in the second account of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we see a tangible, physical experience of God's power. The whole building shook. Now, I don't know about anyone here. Has anyone been in a meeting where the whole building shook? Okay, I, I haven't. But not that, not that that's a measure of anything. But often, when the Holy Spirit pours himself out on people, they begin to shake. They begin to tremor, and uh, there's a shaking that comes. Um, this is not some kind of fit or weirdness, let me just say, because it's the most logical thing to happen when the almighty, supernatural God in his power interacts with fragile human beings. It, it is, it's not unexpected that you could begin to shake if God's power came on you. And shaking can often happen when the Holy Spirit comes. You can just start feeling. I know that's what I do. It looks like I've got a nervous twitch, but it's not a, it's not a contrived thing. It's just the Spirit's power energizing me. But um, sometimes God causes us to shake. Sometimes he doesn't. I, I know this about the Holy Spirit. He doesn't like to be put in a box. He won't be predictable. He'll do what he wants to do. And um, those people who shake, they're not more spiritual than those who don't. So the ones going like this, they're not more super spiritual. And those who don't shake mustn't look at the people shaking, say they're weird emotional types looking for attention. No, we don't choose how the Holy Spirit comes, but when he comes, we just open our hearts and say, God, do what you want to do. He wants to meet each person differently according to what he wants to do in our hearts. For some people, when the Holy Spirit comes, there's just a, some people just begin to weep because there's something very tender that he's doing. And for some people, he releases an oil of joy, the oil of gladness, and people begin to laugh. There's, that is just all different ways that the Holy Spirit encounters us. But when he pours his spirit out, it's always tangible. It's always something that we experience in a very real way. And I think that sometimes we can be a little bit afraid of the Holy Spirit, that he'll make us do something that will embarrass us or make us look a bit silly. So in our hearts, we can just 
subtly begin to resist him. And I want to say we need to be careful of that because we can miss out on all the wonderful things that he wants to do for us. Sometimes, I don't know if you've been in meetings, the Holy Spirit comes and the presence of his power, the power of his presence, I should say, is so powerful that people just fall over. Now, naturally speaking, if you were just standing there and you fell straight back onto your head, I don't think that's an intuitive, instinctive thing to do, is it? It's not normal to just fall straight back. You, you, you instinctively, you'd step or you'd try and balance yourself. And when the Holy Spirit comes, people just fall backwards. And it's not anything that they're trying to contrive. It's just, the, again, the power of God coming on fragile human beings and them receiving that um, his spirit upon them. That's how his infilling comes. And I want to say, if, if that ever happens to you, you feel God come and you just, some, then just, if you lie on the floor, don't think, oh, I better get up. This is just so embarrassing. What happened to me? Just lie there. He's, he's knocked you out because he wants to speak with you and he wants to deal with you and he wants to talk to you and he wants to encourage you. So if that ever happens, just let the Lord come and minister to you and speak to you. He wants to, sometimes he wants to heal wounds Sometimes he wants to align our thoughts with his thoughts where we've, where we've got wrong perspectives. Sometimes he wants to fortify us for a task that he has. He wants to commission us. Sometimes, and I've been in situations where I've been knocked out. I thought I was lying there for 15 minutes, which I thought was quite long. But Anne told me the one time I was there for two hours and I didn't even know. And it was God did such a surgery in my heart. I, there was issues that I carried for many, many years. This was like in the first year or so of our marriage. They were dealt with in those two hours. I, I literally stood up and I was like, I'm, I feel like a different person. And sometimes God just says, I'm dealing with you now. Shut up and lie there. I'm going to speak to you and just help you with some things. So... That's my experience, but that might not be everyone's experience. But what I'm saying is, God will do what we, are, what we give him permission to do. He never imposes. So how we open our hearts is what, how we give access to him and our hearts is how he, to the measure he'll bless us. So in that Acts 4 outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it's interesting there, there was no evidence of tongues in that outpouring. The first one there was tongues, this one was just the whole building shook. Um, but what we do see, it says that the people became emboldened out of that outpouring to preach the word of God. And when the Holy Spirit anoints us, we receive power to step outside of our personal limitations and inhibitions. Because when the Holy Spirit comes on us, the shyest people suddenly feel confident to speak out in public. Or the person who feels so self-conscious can suddenly at work begin to share their testimony with their colleagues where they never felt that confidence before. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Um, the next passage um, that I want to refer to in the book of Acts is the one that Ant spoke about last week, which is Acts chapter 8 from verse 14 to 17. And this is where, do you remember the, the Samaritan believers hear about Jesus, they believe in him, and uh, 
it says that uh, Peter and John come down and they say, we, we, we see that you believe, so we're going to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Do you notice here the order of things is so different? So these Samaritans, they, they believed in Jesus, they were saved. Then they were baptized with water because they understood the baptism as a sign, an outward sign of what God had done in their hearts. But they didn't even know there was such a thing as baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter and John says, no, come, we're going to pray for you that you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So God moves in different ways. I'm sure after coffee, I want to ask, just ask someone, what has been your journey? Because maybe your journey's not finished. Maybe God's got more for you. Maybe you've been saved and you've baptized with the Holy Spirit and God wants you to, to get baptized, baptized in water. I don't know what it is, but God wants us to have all these elements because they're all part of his empowering for us, for the Christian life. I was only baptized um, when in our first or second in water when I was married because I, I, I grew up in an Anglican church we didn't have baptism in water I didn't know about that and then I, I understood that teaching only as a young adult so my, my new husband baptized me which was rather wonderful uh, and something broke over my life when I just did that act of obedience it was really really amazing so I will almost think you know God has brought so many wonderful people to Forest Town, and uh, we just, when we think of everyone that makes up this wonderful church family, we just so thank God. And I know that everyone here could say, you've had a different background in your journey of the churches that you've been part of, or maybe you've never been part of a church. So all of us have got so many different things, and in different times in your life, where God places you in different church communities, there are different truths and things that he wants to put into your life to help you grow into. So that's why we want to validate everyone's journey that you've come on. But I also want to say that it's much more, it's not so important what you got saved out of as what you get saved into. The community and the church that you get saved into does a lot to show you, to help release you into the fullness that God has for you. Because we believe God wants us to be people of the word and the spirit. He wants us to be naturally supernatural and to live our lives with great boldness for him. Uh, I like the saying, God has called us to be wild for him, not weird, okay? We're not into weirdness at Forest Hunt Church. We want to be wild and extravagant and bold and take risks for Jesus. But we don't want to be weirdos. There's not a place. I mean, if, if we're a bit weird, that's okay. We can all be a bit weird. But I'm just saying we're not aiming at weirdness, if you know. We really need to, need to let our, our roots go down deep into the Word of God so that the Word of God becomes the plumb line by which we uh, judge all our experiences in the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, we mustn't be hide behind some of our special little favorite verses just to stop us moving into all that God has for us in the Holy Spirit. We mustn't use the, the word of God as like, well, the word of God says this, so I'm not going to be open to that. Well, 
maybe you only understand a little part of the Word of God. Let us, uh, we have to embrace the full counsel of the Word of God, every part of it, not just our favorite little pieces. Because the Holy Spirit will never, ever contradict the Word of God. He will always bring glory to Jesus. That's how you know it is the Holy Spirit. He will never contradict the Word of God. He will always bring glory to Jesus. But he's also committed to taking us out of our comfort zones and the neat little boxes that we like to help us see the bigness of what God can do and what he, who he is because he is the almighty creator of the universe. And an encounter with the Holy Spirit is always a supernatural experience. I think in our Western world, as soon as anything is a little bit supernatural and spiritual, we go, we put the weird label on it. We go, that's weird. No, it's not weird. It's supernatural. And uh, we need to get comfortable with the supernatural. And when this things come things are a little bit weird. I want to encourage you that we have a very wonderful team of leaders in this church who love the Holy Spirit, who will never stifle when he's doing his work, who will never cut short what he's doing, but they will always protect and instruct when things are maybe not the Holy Spirit. So you, don't, you can feel safe. Is that what I'm saying? Okay. So in Acts chapter 9, the next account is the story of when Paul was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we see that when he gets baptized, he receives salvation, physical healing, and an infilling of the Spirit all in one go. So if you've got any theories now, they are, should be sort of blown out the water because everyone's experience is slightly different. And we have this account of Ananias who gets told, go and find that man Saul because I'm, I've called him to be my son and I want to anoint him. And Ananias says, you've got to be joking, Lord. He's going around killing all the Christians and you want me to pray for him. And uh, the Lord says, yes, but I will show him how much he will suffer for me and I want to empower him for my, with my spirit. And uh, so it says, Ananias departed and entered the house and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord has appeared to you on the road by which you came and he has sent me so that you may regain your sight, because remember he was struck blind, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately it says something like scales fell off Paul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. In each of these different accounts I've read so far, most of them have a similar word or verb that is used when there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and that is the word filled. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think this is a very apt choice of verb because it's a, it sort of explains what happens. It's the image of an empty vessel being filled up, isn't it? So you can imagine a big jar being filled up. And, and uh, taught very carefully that the Holy Spirit is not some supernatural power source, like an impersonal electrical field, or he is a person, but he wants to fill us with his presence. It's not um, 
it is tangible and it's experiential when the Holy Spirit comes on us because we are interacting with the person of the Holy Spirit. I love the, the little um, verse that Jesus says in Revelation 3 verse 20, and maybe you know this well. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. See, baptism in the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit makes his presence known in your life in a way that you become aware of him all the time. He's there. You just know he's there. It is a deeper level of intimacy and communion with God as if he dwells right within us. And this is his promise, that if we open the door to him, by his spirit he will respond and come and presence himself with us. And Jesus said when he was teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit, he said, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. And he says, if a son asks his dad for a fish, will he give him a scorpion? If he asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Well, if you who are earthly fathers now to give good gifts to your children, Jesus said, how much more will your Father in heaven give the good gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask? All we have to do is ask for the Holy Spirit. Knock and you will receive. It's very, very simple. You see, the Holy Spirit is the way our good Father in heaven shows us his love, and kindness and his comforting and empowering presence in our lives. He wants us to be close to him and to know his thoughts and his heart. And what better way than to be filled with his spirit? It's very simple. That's what being filled with the Holy Spirit is. Being filled with his spirit. The last little portion in Acts that I want to end off with is in Acts 10, verse 44 to 48. And um, this is a story which you, you probably also know very well. Just to give a, a context, there's Cornelius. He's, um, he's, he's a Gentile. He doesn't, he doesn't know about Jesus. Um, but he has this vision of a big sheet full of uh, and this is Peter has this vision of a big sheet of, uh, of animals that are all unclean animals for Jewish people to eat. And, he, and Peter feels God saying, eat these things. And he's going, no, God, I don't eat unclean meat. And uh, Peter has this dream because God is telling him, I want you to go and minister the gospel to the Gentiles. And he's going, well, the Gentiles are unclean. I don't, I don't want to be part of that. But uh, God is saying to Peter, no, I'm going to pour my spirit out on the Gentiles just as I have on the Jewish believers. And Peter goes along to Cornelius, this man who's um, been trusting to understand more about God, and he prays for him. And uh, it says, I'm sorry, I, I know that's just a short paraphrase, uh, 
paraphrasing of the context, but it says, while Peter was talking to Cornelius and his family, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, well, can anyone stop them from being baptized in water because they've already received the Holy Spirit? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. So in this passage, the reason why it was included as an example is because in that time, it's not very dramatic for us now. We go, well, what's so amazing about that? But in those days, the Jews had nothing to do with any of the other nations. They were, they were completely separate from them. So for God to say, I'm pouring out my spirit on Jews and Gentiles was radical. It was absolutely something that they had never thought of before. And I think that um, because it was such a radical thing for them to embrace, God had to do a supernatural thing to get them to see that this is what he wanted to do. And I think that sometimes God pours out his spirit to break preconceptions about him, to break preconceptions about that we have in ourselves and about others. He wants to break all the kind of ceilings that we put on how he can work and where he should work and what he should do. And I believe that God wants us to come when, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit to come with open hands and open hearts. And uh, you notice whenever they say that they receive the Holy Spirit, it says they had hands laid on them. So it's not like they laid hands on them, but it's just it was a, a placing a hand on a shoulder or a head because um, the Holy Spirit comes by impartation. That's how he works. I don't know, I didn't make up the rules. That's what the Bible says. We just lay our hands on someone. We say, Holy Spirit, Jesus, come and just baptize this person by your spirit now. And there's just an impartation that happens. And, and that's how they, they receive the Holy Spirit. But also we need to learn how to receive. So if, we, if this is our body language, then God is not going to force himself. We, we need to come with a, a posture that's saying, I'm, I'm happy to receive. I want to receive all that you have for me. Um, but God wants to change us and help us to see things from his perspective and to understand from his perspective. In this book of Acts, it says one of the things that happened was they began to praise and worship God. And the outpouring of the Spirit always brings praise to Jesus, as I said before. Are there always those who try to bring glory to themselves? Well, that can always happen. People can say, oh, look, look what I did. I prayed for these people and they fell over. I want us important. Well, no, not really. You're just a, a host pipe for the power of God to come through. But God wants to do his work and he'll use whoever avails themselves. Um, are there those who will try to manufacture some counterfeit manifestation of the Holy Spirit and start doing things and we think, is that God or is that just someone trying to get attention? Well, immaturity and pride can do that kind of thing. It could happen. 
But as I say, you can feel confident that those who host and facilitate our times together love the Holy Spirit and won't want to quench what he's doing. And I want to say maybe there's been times where you've been cynical of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Mike Pilavachi says, um, it's messy in the nursery, but it's dead in the graveyard. And when we're learning to walk in the Spirit and we're learning how he works in our midst, it can be a little messy. But we should never quench the Spirit and say, God, I don't want you to do it because I feel uncomfortable. And we need to discern the difference between guarding our hearts and hardening our hearts to what God wants to do. So I just want to end off with this. Um, in Billy Graham's book, The Holy Spirit, he shared the story and it's, he wrote, over a hundred years ago, two young men were talking in Ireland. And one said, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man who's fully consecrated to him or a woman. And the other man meditated on that thought for weeks. It so gripped him that one day he exclaimed, by the Holy Spirit in me, I'll be that man. And historians now say that he touched two continents for Christ, and his name was Dwight L. Moody. There is an invitation for all of us here to go deeper, to open our hearts more fully to God and to allow, us, allow him to empower us by his Holy Spirit. You are a child of the living God and he's called you to live a life full of passion and purpose for his name and for his kingdom. And Jesus said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. So he sent his Holy Spirit. And so today I want to invite you to say, yes, Lord, I need your power. I need your Holy Spirit to fill me so I can live powerfully and full of boldness for you.